thank you so much. How many of you wanted to sing along? How many of you did sing along? Yeah, yeah. That's some great music. Thank you so much, choir. We appreciate that. And for the extended choir. What a great time of uh, call to worship. Thank you so much for being here at First Baptist Church, Sun City West. We thank you for taking the opportunity and the time to, uh, to be engaged in our worship this morning. And if you're a guest for the very first time and you've not filled out one of our guest cards, please take the, the card from the few in front of you and fill it out during the service and drop it in one of the offering boxes when you leave. We would certainly appreciate that. So thank you for taking the time. I have the privilege of having uh, my good friend, uh, Reverend Gary Taylor, with us today from, uh, from Florida, Life Church in Florida. Uh, he is a, a great friend and uh, a guy that just knows how to preach, and we're looking forward to him preaching uh, today and uh, being one of, our, one of our guest speakers. Many of you have heard him before, and uh, so listen intently, because he has such a, a vibrant ministry where he's at in working with people that probably a lot of other churches would not want to come into their church. And he has just done a tremendous job, he and his church, in bringing many of them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we're excited about his ministry and what God continues to do through him. So if you join me in prayer, and then we're going to continue our time of worship when the time comes, Gary will come and share the gospel. Father, thank you so much. We appreciate the ability to sing some great songs. Songs that speak to our hearts. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And Father, it's only because of your son, Jesus Christ. Only because he offers eternal life. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us would choose to follow him. And I pray, God, that, uh, that as we look forward to this service, to experiencing you and the power of your spirit, it's not in our spirit, and it's not what we want. It's not our expectations, but God, it's what your spirit says to us today that we need to hear. And I pray, Father, as we sing the songs of the faith and engage, we allow the spirit to speak through us as an aroma of praise to you, Father. For you are the only one. You are the creator, and we are humbled at the privilege and the responsibility to worship and to follow you and to be obedient. Thank you for thinking of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Psalm 47, verses 6 and 7, we read these words. Sing praises to our King, for God is King of all the earth. Sing to him a song of praise. Let's do just that as we stand and sing to the king, followed by Mighty is Our God.
Good morning, everyone. <coughs> I be open to prayer today. And I ask that everyone pray along with me while I pray. And then we are getting ready for a grand time and worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So please pray with me. <coughs> the Father God, <coughs> excuse me. It's such an honor and privilege that you have bless your children. That we can gather here in your name to worship. <coughs> and we worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray. Thank you for starting off the day with prayer. Back in the prayer room this morning. Then we left prayer room, Father, and we went to Bible study. We went, Father, to listen. <coughs> Excuse me. Listen and learn from your word. Be mindful of the Zephyr. You told him, Lord, to be a watchman, to carry the message, to warn the people, Father, to give them the message that you laid on his heart, Lord, to give them. So today, <coughs> we come in, Lord, and we still, your children, we come with open ears and hearts and eyes. Ears to hear, and heart to receive the word. And we pray, Lord, that we would be faithful stewards of the word, Father. And the word, Lord, is the source of the ministry. It's your word. The word is everything, Lord, because Jesus is the word. He said in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. And then, then it said also that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And who was none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Truly, we thank you for the word, and we go on in Revelation. It's still talking about that <coughs> word. John said he saw that heaven open up, Lord, <coughs> and saw a white horse there. And him that said it in the white horse, Lord, his robe dripped in blood. Lord. Then he was given the title. Word of God. So, the word is everything. So we pray that we will honor your word, that we will declare it, Lord, and that we will pour over it and over it and over it, Lord. And Lord, that we will be found faithful, Lord, as Christians. Thank you, Lord, for this day. And as we prepare uh, continue the worship service, we ask that you would be with our guest speaker, uh, Taylor, Lord, that you will Knowing him with power on high to bring your message to us. And truly, Lord, we thank you also for our, our pastor himself, uh, Dr. Kennedy, Lord, for being our watchman, Lord, that he brings the bread of life to us and, and he warns us and he preaches and teaches to us. And we are blessed as a church to have so many other uh, uh, retired pastors, Father, who still doing the job, Lord, preaching teaching us. So thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all our teachers who handle your word. And that is so, so precious. Thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You're singing beautifully this morning. Let's continue. Shout to the Lord. Thank you. 
Just had to make sure. Good morning. God bless you. How is everybody? Good. It's always a great honor and privilege to be here. And um, thank you guys for turning on the heat. And um, it seems like I'm only here when it's hot. Of course, it's always hot, isn't it? If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I pray that you do. Take it out and go with me to the Gospel of John. John, we're going to actually start in chapter 3, and we're going to work our way over to chapter 4. And I just want to um, say a word to my friend and mentor, Dr. Kennedy. Thank you for your graciousness. And uh, even when I preach a bad sermon, uh, Dr. Kennedy is always encouraging and says, well, it was, it was a sermon. And, um, <laughs> and so I'm very thankful for him. And, and um, I'll be honest, I'd take him back home with me if I could. And so you guys... Um, you're truly blessed. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the opportunities that you give us to serve you, to serve each other. God, we pray with humble hearts that we'll be submitted to you, that we'll love you, and that we'll be a lighthouse for you, for your kingdom, to everyone, everywhere. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. When I look over the Gospel of John, we find that he gives us a very distinct purpose for writing his account of the Gospel. In John chapter 20, he says this, that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. In his name. If I were to summarize the writing of John into one word, it would be this believe. We know that John witnessed for nearly three years stories and sermons, conversations, interactions, but he tells us he didn't include them all, that he selected certain ones, ones that would help us to believe. To believe in Jesus as the Christ and the Son of God requires more than some intellectual adherence to some set of rules or, or maybe the, the knowledge and understanding of some facts about Jesus. It requires trusting one's whole self into who Jesus is what he stands for, and what he was sent to accomplish. It requires the understanding that God loves everyone, everywhere, and that he sent Jesus to save all those who will believe. Friends, this morning, I want to share a message with you that I've titled, Everyone, Everywhere. By doing so, I want us to make a comparison of two completely different individuals one, a religious individual that we find in John chapter 3, a righteous, moral man, and the other, a woman that lived a storied life found in John chapter 4. Two completely different individuals that have an encounter with Jesus. The religious man had his life all put together, like maybe some of us. And then there was the individual with a storied past, like some of us, two totally different people, 
Two different walks of life. Two different cultures. But they and we have one thing in common. And it's the need for Jesus. Here's the main idea. Everyone, everywhere, is loved by and in need of Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, is loved by and in need of Jesus. Trusting you've made your way to John chapter 3. Let's start by reading the story here uh, in verse 1 of Jesus and his interaction with the religious man named Nicodemus. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him, Jesus, at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Let's just stop for just a second. When I read this, this is one of the most tragic things that you can read in the scripture. Here's a religious man, a religious teacher. He says, Jesus, I know that you are from God. But we also know that this man had a difficult time believing the way to heaven. If I had to characterize this, this thought, this sentiment of this kind of an individual, I would say this here is a man who went to hell with heaven on his mind. Think about that. And Jesus says, I tell you this. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus said, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. And you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. Jesus replies, aren't you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Verse 11, Jesus says, truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. Jesus gives us probably one of the best known verses in all of Christianity. And I, I can't not look at it here, highlighted, underlined, and circled in my Bible without reading it to you. John 3, 16, for God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son, so that, who, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I just have to ask the question, did you catch the who? Everyone. The where? Everywhere. We go over a little bit further in the next chapter, chapter 4, and, and we see this interaction with Jesus and a Samaritan woman. Uh, the Samaritans uh, were, were a, a mixture of, of Jews that had interbred with the Gentiles, and so they uh, are from the Samaritan area. 
north of Israel. And when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making, I'm in verse 1, making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but the disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee, and he traveled through Samaria. And he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked, and, and to provide from clarification, John lets us know that Jews would not have associated with the Samaritan. They were on the different side of the track, if you will. Different walks of life. We might would walk by them at the, at the grocery store and look the other way. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. And this well is deep. So, so where do you get this living water? You, you aren't better than, than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well to drink of it of himself and his livestock. And this is what Jesus says in verse 13. Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. There it is again. Everyone. Everywhere. We see this comparison of these two vastly different individuals. Let's look first at the life of our religious man named Nicodemus. He was a very powerful individual. He was a Pharisee, and he was very serious about his religion. Other religious leaders would, would come to Nicodemus to solicit his advice, to get his opinion. Maybe he mentored a few. He was morally upstanding. There would never be a scandal around him. He wouldn't have it. All of his closets were full of light, no skeletons there, nothing hiding in the shadows, nothing under the bed, nothing around the corners. Nobody ever had a secret about him. Nobody knew a secret about him. Nobody ever heard a secret about him. He was a religious man, serious about his religion. He was so serious about his religious traditions that he was very careful not to contaminate himself with the people he was around or, or the people that he touched or the people that touched him. He, he was so serious about his traditions and, and not being self-contaminated that he would probably strain his water just to make sure that no impurities had settled on the top. He certainly would not let you sip out of his cup. He wasn't arrogant or haughty. In fact, when he spoke to Jesus, he was very polite. He was very respectful, even referred to Jesus as rabbi. Acknowledged that he surely must be of God. But 
There was just something about it. We find in John 3, 3, that when questioning Jesus about entering heaven, this is what Jesus said to this morally righteous, upstanding man that everybody admired and respected. Jesus said, your credentials are not good enough to get you into heaven. The only way to get to heaven is through a rebirth. Now, I can just imagine the shock that Nicodemus must have felt. The look of disbelief on his face. Maybe like some of us, he would thought, well, I'm a good person. I've kept all the laws. I stop when I'm supposed to stop. I go when I'm supposed to go. I only cross the, the street. It's a crosswalk. I taught Sunday school. I went to church. I worked in the nursery. I gave some money. Those are the things that we characterize good Christians to be. You see, Nicodemus had lived his entire life, this morally righteous life, assuming that his religious credentials would get him to church. He might have lived a life where he knew he was good enough and certainly better than the rest. And here Jesus says, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You're not good enough to get to heaven on your own merits. We go over to John chapter 4, and we see Jesus and his disciples are taking this long trip from Judea to Galilee, and in the heat of the day, they stop. And so Jesus is, is resting the disciples, though they go down into town for some food. It's not long before the Samaritan woman approaches the well to draw some water. And Jesus asks for a drink. When you compare this woman and this encounter with the encounter of Nicodemus and Jesus, what we discover are two opposite people in opposite situations, both in need of the same thing. Jesus. The reality is, everyone, everywhere, needs Jesus. The rich and the poor, the white, the brown, the Republican, and the Democrats. This side of the track and that, everyone, everywhere, needs Jesus. Nicodemus was respected. This woman, not at all. It's also important to point out to you that, that gender here is important. Men were considered more important than women. Men don't, don't sit up any straighter. Verse 27, the disciples come back and they were amazed that he was talking to a woman. You see, what Jesus knew about this woman and what we know about this woman is that she had several failed marriages and finally just decided to cohabitate. Basically, talking to Nicodemus would have been an honor. But talking to this woman would have been socially unacceptable. In fact, we learn from Mark chapter 2 that Jesus was repeatedly criticized for his interactions with sinners. Now listen, 
we may abhor sinners, but Jesus ran to them. We might close the door on them, but Jesus opens the door. We might not want anything to do with them, but Jesus died for them. There's also this very deep-seated historical animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. Verse 9 is, is, is the key here in chapter 4 to understanding this passage when John was very specific to make sure that the readers of this gospel could decipher this and understand that Jews did not associate with them. They'd walk by the street as if they didn't even exist. They'd look the other way. Some Bibles even have a footnote that explains that Jews didn't use the same dishes that a Samaritan used. It was certainly a surprise when the, Jesus, uh, when the disciples of Jesus returned to find that he was talking to this woman, this Samaritan sinner. Even more, that he asked for a drink from her cup. This was simply just unheard of. In Jewish culture, Jesus would have contaminated himself. He'd have been unclean. The hatred was so strong that a Jew would have been considered unclean for touching, much less sharing the dishes of a Samaritan. When we really look at this, we know that Jesus had every reason not to talk to this woman, every reason not to talk to her. He was a Jew, and she was a Samaritan. But just like he did with Nicodemus, he begins a conversation that penetrates to the very root of their issue. He understands both of their hearts. He understands that Nicodemus had done everything he could to live a morally righteous life by, by being a religious individual and by upholding the law. He understood her condition. But what Jesus shows out to us shows us is that he reaches out to the moral just like he does the immoral. That Jesus loves the moral and he loves the immoral. That he died for everyone, everywhere. Both of these individuals, both in desperate need of salvation from sin, a salvation that could only come from Jesus. I've got two thoughts that I want to share with you on this subject, and, and here's number one. The need for Jesus is universal. A morally righteous Israelite needed Jesus, and so did an immoral Gentile. Here today, the morally righteous have just as much a need for Jesus as the unrighteous and the immoral Regardless of a person's past or current circumstance, they need Jesus, and the gospel is a universal message. We should understand that every individual we encounter is a soul in need of Jesus. Every eye that you look into, every breath that you share, 
is a soul that needs Jesus. Regardless of their walk of life, their ways, their trials, their circumstances, even those people that we find to be the most reprehensible, the people that we don't like, the ones that have harmed us, the ones who are different than we are, take just a minute and think about it. Think just a, just, just a second, think about it. Even them. Even that name that came to your mind, that category that came to your mind, even they need Jesus. And the next time we judge, the next time we gossip, even if it's in the prayer meeting, next time we snub somebody, remember, Jesus loves them too. Jesus died for them too. And you might just be living next to them in heaven. Here's my second point. The need for Jesus is personal. Jesus could have used any method he wanted to reach the Samaritan woman, to get his message to Samaria, because that's what we see next if we, if we continue to go uh, through our uh, chapter 4 and verse 15. The woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and, and have to come here to draw a woman. She's, she's saying, Jesus, save me. She's saying, my life is, is a wretched mess, but will you save me? Jesus says in verse 21, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father near, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. She runs into town and she shares the message. He went out of his way to find her. He went out of his way to, to show her what her greatest need was. He came to her personally. I'll tell you this morning that Jesus is after your heart. If you're here this morning and, and you don't know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to heaven when you die, if there's any suspicion in your mind that you're just not sure, Jesus is here after your heart. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been in church all your life. You're morally righteous and you've kept all the laws. Jesus is after your heart too. He loves you. And he wants to make your life whole and complete. Jesus is after the heart of those that are unlike us. Maybe those folks from the other side of town. Maybe the immoral. Maybe the unrighteous. The outcast. But listen, here's the bottom line. Everyone, everywhere, needs Jesus. Everyone everywhere deserves what we've got. You know that God works personally. That someone somewhere is depending on you to do what God has called you to do. God is a personal God. God is such a personal God that he has a special mission, a special task, something that only he can do. And something that he wants to do through you. He wants to send us to individuals 
And he wants to send individuals to us so that we can tell them about his saving grace. Our interactions matter. I'm writing a project for school, and one of the examples that I'm using is last year, we had this terrible storm that came through, and it knocked out the Wi-Fi. Everything that mattered to me had, had come crashing down. The Wi-Fi was out. and we, we made multiple attempts to call the service provider. We couldn't get them to rush out as urgently as it was in my life. And by the time the young service technician arrived, days later, I was a fuming mess. I did everything I could do to muster up my most fatherly, pastoral voice and let him know how urgent it was and that he was not to leave this place until the situation was resolved. And after he went into our technology room and pulled the box off the shelf and hit the reset button and put the box back on the shelf and the Wi-Fi came back on, I said, we're doing a lot of great things here for the Lord. You want to come to church? The young man looked at me with the most horrid look on his face. I knew at that moment I was sick in my stomach. I'd never see that young man in church. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if he never went to another church. He sends us to individuals, and he sends individuals to us so that we can tell them about his saving grace. Our interactions matter. The way we treat people matters. The way we love people matters. The way we, listen to me, forgive even the most reprehensible of sinners matters for the kingdom of God. Maybe we need to spend a little bit more time talking with our neighbor, the person next to us at, at the pool or the social club or the grocery store or the outing, the bottom line is, is that every person you share, you see, shares the same personal need for Jesus. Every person you see has the same need that you have. Jesus. Jesus changed this woman's life with a simple yet powerful conversation. A simple yet powerful conversation. And she went and told other people. Jesus turned her into a disciple. And she made more disciples. Here's, here's my conclusion. If you are morally blameless like Nicodemus or morally compromised like the Samaritan woman at the well, you need Jesus. You might think you're really good. You might think you're really bad. But I want you to know that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because we all need Jesus. Everyone. Everywhere. The moral cannot be saved by their morality. They can only be saved by Jesus. Listen to this. The immoral are never too immoral to find salvation in Jesus. No matter who you are, when you stand before God, the only thing that will matter is whether or not the Spirit of God has transformed you from the inside out. I'm going to say that one more time. No matter who you are, 
when you stand before God, the only thing that will matter is whether or not the Spirit of God has transformed you from the inside out. We can categorize people all we want. We can put them in any envelope that we want. But at the end of the day, when we stand before Jesus, there's only two categories. Lost and saved. Doesn't matter how we classify ourselves or how we group ourselves or how we congregate. At the end of the day, when the lights are out, when Jesus has called us home or come through the eastern sky, there's only two categories. Lost and saved. Let me share this story with you. On April the 10th, 1912, the British passenger liner RMS Titanic sailed out of her home port in Southampton, England, headed to New York City. In the early morning hours of April the 15th, 1912, after colliding with an iceberg in the North Atlantic Ocean, the Titanic sank. 1,500 people lost their lives, making this one of the worst peacetime, maritime disasters in history. The days following the disaster, the owners of the Titanic, White Star Lines in Liverpool, England, were charged by the government with notifying the families on the status of their loved ones, whether they were dead or alive. To accomplish this task, the headquarters office in Liverpool took a big white board and they put it out in front of the offices and they divided the board into two columns. And on one column they put known to be saved and on the other column they put known to be lost as a messenger would emerge from the White Star Line offices with the name of a passenger, all of the families and then newspapers and all the townsfolks that had gathered would rush over to the whiteboard to see which column that name would go in, whether it was known to be lost or known to be saved. Think about it for just a minute. Think about this. Before the sinking of this great ship, there were first-class passengers, second-class passengers, and third-class passengers. They were, they were eating fine food, dancing, playing music, maybe a little bingo, dancing and laughter. They were just going on about their lives, just their own lives, doing their own thing. Just living life. But after that ship sank, there were just two categories, lost and saved. Friends, I'm going to ask you a question. Dr. Kennedy's going to come and do an invitation. At the end of this life, which category are you in? Lost or saved? Is Jesus calling your name? Or is your number just up? Lost or saved? You make the decision. Jesus died to provide us with hope, peace, and joy. But the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The decision is yours. Lost or saved? Now I'm going to throw this there at you. This is going to plague you. Prayerfully, this is going to plague you. 
How about your neighbors? Are they lost or saved? Or do we even know? Dr. Kennedy? Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for a penetrating message. A message that clearly lays out your unconditional love. Whether we're the best of the best or the worst of the worst, you unconditionally love us. And you provided the opportunity to be in that column, saved. But it's a decision that we have to make, a decision to follow Jesus. And I pray this morning that those here that do not have a personal relationship with Christ, that your spirit does not live within them, transform them from the inside out, that, Father, this morning they would choose to do so. And I pray also for those of us who are believers in Christ, that it would weigh heavy on our heart to the point where it would help us to make the decision to get to know our neighbors, to begin to plant those seeds, to begin to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, in the other decisions today, we ask that those would be made, either in the pew or, Father, in a public way, but today we ask that you would help us, that you would help us to listen and choose. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you would. We're going to sing our invitation song. And whatever God has laid upon your heart, a decision to make, you come. You come ahead and make it.
seated. I appreciate that so much. Gary, thank you so much. We appreciate uh, the message that just stirred our hearts. Thank you for sharing very clearly what we need to do. Ms. Nancy? In both the small and main lobbies, there is a sign-up sheet for you to indicate that you would like to have lunch before the movie. We will have the movie Sergeant York on Thursday the 28th. That will be at 1 o'clock, and it is free of no charge. Uh, if you would like to come, though, for lunch, we do need you to sign up, and lunch will be at 12.30 at a cost of $5. The beautiful flowers on the altar table today are provided by Frank and Betty Bush. Will the two of you stand? They just on Friday celebrated their 55th wedding anniversary. In the choir room, Frank assured me that Betty was 10 and he was 11 when they married. Next Monday begins adult VBS. I hope you are planning to come Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 18th, 19th, and 20th, from 9 to noon. There will be studies for women and men, as well as crafts. There will be snacks for all of us and games. And I'm learning from the last couple of VBSs that we have some competitive people in our midst. There will be some competitive games, and I hope you will plan to participate. If you cannot come, we are counting on your prayers. Some men from Set Free Ministry here in Phoenix will be with us, as well as some of the ladies from Redeemed Women's Ministries. Those are two of our ministry partners, very dear to us, and we want to involve them and engage with them next week. So I hope that you will plan to come Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 9 to noon. This is Bob and Peggy Peters, and uh, they have come today to say that they want to join First Baptist Church. And it's the first uh, time, man, I, I, my sister was older than me. This is my sister. <laughs> Never thought that they would be members of a church that I pastored, and, uh, but they've moved to our community, and uh, they have been with us uh, for a good period of time, and today they have made that decision to come in and to be a part of our fellowship. All in favor, if you'd show that by the sign, aye, please. Aye. Uh, sign no? Okay, all right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Carol, I wonder if you might come and, and stand beside uh, beside them, if you would. And listen, our folks are going to come around at the, uh, at the conclusion of the prayer time and give you the right hand of Christian fellowship, saying two things. Number one, welcome to your church family, because uh, that's who we are. And secondly, we're going to be praying with you and working beside you uh, as God leads us to accomplish the things he wants to. So it's so good to, to have you guys with us. Yeah. Carol, if you would. Dr. Barb Marty is going to come and lead us in our closing prayer. He is one of our Bible study teachers and he's also co-team leader of our missions team. So would you stand as he comes to lead us in that prayer? Father, we were blessed to get up this morning. 
We're blessed to come and to study your word. We're blessed to be in a worship service. Blessed by the music. Blessed by the preaching. Now, Father, might we take the blessings of this day. And as we go into the world, realize that everyone, everywhere, needs the blessings we receive through knowing Jesus Christ. Might we be found faithful to share in his word with all people. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Amen.